Dadlaw Project is here to help, educate and inspire Aussie blokes to reclaim their physical and mental strength. This episode of the Deadbod Project podcast features audio from the All Fun and Games YouTube series, where we get a well-known personality from sports or entertainment, play an old-fashioned board game, and have a good old-fashioned yak. Some of the stuff we talk about is around the Dadbod pillars of diet training and mental health, and some of the stories are just enlightening or entertaining, or just downright piss funny. This is the Dadbod Project podcast. This is the Dadbod Project. The Dad Bod Project. Project. Today's chat is with Aussie rock and roll legend Tim Rogers from UMI. Tim is hands down the most effortlessly cool man in Aussie music. We talk everything from Marilyn Manson, Chris Cornell, whether rock and roll is dead and why success doesn't necessarily equal happiness. Living legend of live music in Australia, a bloke that's still flying the rock and roll flag, Tim. (laughs) Have you played Kiss Monopoly before? I've never played Kiss Monopoly. Well, in this, you're in for a treat. Yeah, I've got another Kiss board game that I didn't have as a kid, but picked up um, whilst travelling around. We, we used to, the band used to travel with board games, mostly Test Match. Yes. And the, the first joy of that is creating the teams, because Rusty's team was the Perth Power Pop 11. Wow. You know, you, you, so you go John This is specific. pretty big bash, right? Oh, yeah. You're ahead yeah. of your time. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Hmm. I wonder if I could get uh, a percentage, but uh, we'd have, you know, the Free Jazz 11, um, the death metal, the Swedish death metal 11, and uh, but the test match pitch, which is made of um, some sort of synthetic material, yeah. after a couple of nights would be so doused in alcohol and cigarette um, butts that we washed it in a hotel um, laundromat, and of course it shrunk, and so our... our field was compromised right uh, you know, we, we'd, uh, we'd put a ring around it but uh, so board games I'd, I'd love to get back as um, as part of the touring regimen yes M- mostly chess I think that would be uh, great but there is still the trouble that uh, on tour as much as you love each other you value your alone time so much mm. so one gets into onanistic games or um, single card games and you don't want to break up a band over a game of chess they've look Aerosmith broke up for a while over some actual some spilt milk um, right. bands break up over the silliest things it's normally at 3 or 4am as well Have you, has your band ever broken up I mean is there a point where you're right fuck is all that's it or you know um, have you got to that point no we um at the start, it took a little while for the for the band to solidify its current lineup. Rusty joined in 1993, and it's been the three of us since then. And Davey joined in 1999. Um, definitely times where uh, we've all left. Rusty and I have both left. I don't think Andy has. And I was ready to leave last year. We were touring, and I was um, miserable, and I was being miserable toward my friend and we were on a driving tour up the east coast and um, a lot of shows consecutively and um, I was just miserable and finding myself getting really uh, down again and uh, drinking 24-7 when I wasn't driving Um, and there's nothing like um, either a pandemic and uh, well actually I I did kind of leave without telling everyone got a a bar job Um, just bartending 
and there's nothing like serving drunk people and a pandemic to make you miss being in a band so much and so we're making a new record now and, and you know the first opportunity that we get to play to a, have a corn chip together right I'll jump at it or a game of test match a game or of test kiss match. monopoly I think I'm going to go looking for a, a test match set very soon. We did it on here. We actually did it with Richo on episode two, but they've updated it. So I'll show you. Matthew? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I haven't seen that episode yet. He yeah, just yeah. lives up the road from me. Yeah. I had him three for one. If you haven't checked it out, you <laughs> must. Was, I had a very aggressive field early, and that's the key you'll find. Still with the rolling arm? Yeah, actually. no. It's, it's, more of a, um, it's more a flick thing now. So they've updated it, and the, the outfield is a little more reliable. I still had to wash it and give it an iron and all that sort of stuff, but uh, it's better than the original. Mm. <laughs> Um, I must go around to, to Matt's for a, for a game yeah. of test match. He's um, meeting up with him on the street. He's he's so gorgeous, um, and he, but he's he's so uh, noticeable. Yeah, big handsome fella, big grim, but everyone knows him. And so yeah. a couple of times happening, he goes, oh, Tim, you want to go for a sneaky one because Zoe's asleep, and um, so I've got an hour. And they walk in the pub and it's, Richard, Richard, and everyone wants to come and talk to him. And so yeah. if anyone says to me, oh, what's it like being here? I say, it's I'm just a local postie. Or like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Next to him? Yeah. yeah. You just can't have a quiet game of test match. <laughs> no, you can't. Do you want to, you roll first. Yep. You'll go. You'll race freely. Always thought I was. Yeah. Six. So we've got the oh, I think, I think you're... That's, I'm Gene, yeah, that's you, mate. Okay, so we're going... Uh, yeah, we're one, going this... Two, three, four, five, six. Hotter yeah. than hell. Hotter than hell. You Great record. If you want. Okay, so you make a new record. Is, is rock and roll still alive? Oh, where I live, yeah. Yeah. It's, what about where everyone else lives? Uh, I run into people and friends with people and I meet strangers all the time who... Absolutely love it. Now, whether it's yeah. viable as being um, a dominant cultural force anymore, it doesn't seem like it is at the moment. But mm. um, in four different periods of when I, since I've been touring and making music, I've heard that you know rock and roll's yeah. dead. But okay, wait three years and then some brilliant rock band comes along and everyone wants to be in a rock band again. Um, you entered the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, it's about time. Collect. <laughs> 150 bucks. There you go. Beautiful. Street. I don't think we've, we've organised a bank here. There you go, mate. You're rich. <laughs> Thanks, Rod. <laughs> no worries. The first yeah, honest dollar of UMI, Tim Rogers, made the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, we are actually in the Cleveland Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but uh-huh. as first on, uh, there's a poster there. And we went to it at the Cleveland Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and saw this um, Soundgarden poster and looked at them and thought, hang on, we did that. And so we're on the bill with the Reverend Horton Heat and uh, I think Marilyn Manson may have played that show as well so we actually are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there you go um, do you know Marilyn at all Marilyn Manson oh, I don't know in yeah, never met him no incredible cra- character and the first time we met him and the band was on that tour we were in Atlanta Georgia there's a place called Five Points uh, which is kind of the cultural centre of Atlanta very um, university college kind of thing. So we went there to find some bars, and as we were walking up the road, and this huge, scary, gothic uh, creature and his entourage are walking up the street, and went, Oh, hello, scary man. 
uh, and we walked in this bar and then Marilyn and his crew came in after us and he came up and said, hey, are you guys in UMI? And we said, yes, scary man. And he sat down and, and we had some drinks, but he was asking very much about who the promoters were in Australia. And, um, and he's very erudite and very charming, but he was on top of it. Right, business-wise, really wanted to know. Was what he still thing. looking that way? Was he still looking? You know, if he's walking down the street, is oh, he, he was still looking? Completely dressed up, and there were outfit. people diving out of the way. Wow! Yes, he was wearing these huge heels, um, very much like Jean. Yeah, uh, it was really quite something in very leafy Atlanta, and Marilyn and his crew coming up, and then we saw them play the next day because we were doing a, um, a festival together. Oh right, that's <laughs> yeah. There we are. Wow. <laughs> Tell me if you if rock and roll is still alive. What, do you reckon if if you and I started now, would it have the same chances of success as the mid nineties or the early nineties? Uh, no, no. I. Uh, no, I think the the band lucked out in so many ways. It's, it's, almost measuring um, some things that happened that could be considered bad luck but we had um, patrons early on people who really trusted in what we did and first one was Kate Stewart who was our first manager and was our manager for a long while very strong woman saw us play at the Metro Club in Sydney I think we were supporting Buffalo Tom maybe and approached us and the year there in his wife, that's uh, like 91, maybe, or late 1990. And no, we were just a shit kicking and playing a lot because our bass player, Nick Tischler, who's still my best friend, was very charming and was quite a character on the, the particular hardcore and punk scene around then. And um, very smart, savvy, and very handsome guy. Uh, and so we got shows on the basis of that. Uh, my brother was still drumming and it, we were playing with bands who were phenomenal you know um, Box Jesuit played with the Hard-Ons a bunch um, Mass Appeal the Hellmen Asylum um, Box Jesuit a number of times and but it was Nick's charm that got us the shows and we so we played 50, 60 shows and got a little better and then Kate saw us and it really, everything came from her having some trust in us, and uh, and seeing something in you, obviously. I mean, yeah, well, something that we didn't we didn't see. But yeah. uh, to answer your question, geez, I, I'm 50 years old, you know. Yeah. But uh, the not in, not under these lights, mate. <laughs> 62. The uh, the opportunities were there because the gigs were there, yeah. and we could play ourselves out of our <laughs> slump. You know, yeah. Yeah, by doing hundreds of shows a year, and um, just knowing how to do it a little, little better. So by the time we made a uh, fourth EP, I think, which started to have some songs on it, we'd already done hundreds of shows and mm. sort of knew how to do it. Yeah, um, and that's the only way you get good, right? Because you've got to play, you have to play matches to get good. And I guess that's why yeah. I asked the question. You know, that's, I mean, there, there are several reasons, but I think the first one is there needs to be a quantity of gigs as well as a quantity for a band to actually get good. Well, I'd noticed that. As well that as, the, you know, the changing business model. When we first went to the States, we noticed that the bands that we... We just wanted to have fun, see if there are any drugs around 
lots of free booze and, and just experience it. But the American you found some? Oh, we did. Yeah, but okay. the American bands would want to talk to us about labels and agents, and we found it a little shocking. Uh, and nowadays, running into um, a lot of musicians who, yeah, they, they really want to talk about the business of it because the what do you call it grassroots um, going out and playing and becoming friends with other performers and getting on tours just because of that um, I don't think it's as that as that uh, there's not that um, cross wire of synapses everywhere you know, there's, it seems to be there's little scenes here and pockets mm. and, and it's working together but no, it doesn't all kind of mesh over and uh, as much as I have previously not wanted to talk about that time because it didn't really interest me but now looking back from this vantage point I see we'd play with um, uh, hardcore groups or, or pop groups or um, you know funk metal groups and uh, it, it seemed there was more confluency and uh, I don't know whether yeah. that happens anymore I really hope it does but it, I, I think it does but I think the quantity of the gigs um, and the quality for you know for young 20-year-old blokes or 20-year-old gals to get out there and play a lot of real gigs to real people. That's certainly something at Anthem that we really try to do is provide that platform. Because, yeah. you know, certainly in, in my case as a, a singer, not to compare myself to you, but I was shit house. But I got to do a million gigs. Like gig after gig after gig until mm. you can't help but at least get less shit. And I think, you know, that's something that's missing. But the other thing is the business model has changed a lot in that you know, the old school template at that time, go and play a million gigs, impress the pants of people, and they would go to the store and purchase your compact disc on Monday. Mm. So in terms of what, where that business model is at, that's changed significantly. Anyway, but let, let's at least try and make some money out of... Let's try and make some kiss money, at least. Kiss money. Yeah. Um, I did spend a lot of my early Pizza Hut money on kiss. Um, definitely on the records. I couldn't get... Oh, I'm in jail. Um, but again, um, information on the band, it was nice to have one or two posters and have the records and tapes. And uh, But if you manage to see a video, like the first time I saw the video for Love and Leave Them, I was in Kmart um, shoplifting and right. Love and Leave Them came on this TV and I thought, it's a clip from about 76, I think. And uh, this was maybe 1979, and I thought, but you had to be there because it it wasn't available on um, any other service. And uh, so the the image of that. And now I find myself, you know, 3 a.m., and I'll go go in those wormholes of looking for live kiss clips. And I thought, if I was 13, this would just, 10, blow my mind because I used to have to imagine them more. the fecund amount of information out there and televisual stuff, uh, it's a wonderful time to be alive. Yes, isn't it? When you think you'd have to wait for a song to be on the radio, or you'd have to just, you know, like you said, you're waiting in Kmart for a kiss thing take to pop the, up. Take the song from the radio. But you, you, I mean, you also loved your sports. A young Tim Rogers, was there, was there a time or a, a moment or an age where you wanted to be a bit less like Dennis Lilly and a bit more like Gene Simmons? Mm. You know, was there a time when you went, I think I'm, I think I'm going to go to rock and roll? Well, the two ran confluent, there's that word again, um, until I was 13. Uh, I really, I was a better cricketer than I was a football player. Uh, my dad was an excellent all-rounder and an excellent footballer, centre-half forward. Uh, he had to work away a lot and 
didn't become any follow sport any further I just didn't think you could but I love playing you know three games a weekend and played a bit of rep cricket for Adelaide and uh, but and being into rock and roll whether it was um, Kiss or Bad Company or Free or, and that was all went the same and then uh, I tell this story I was 13 getting my teeth done in the mobile dentist in Adelaide at my primary school and uh, as I was drilling my teeth start me up by the stones came on the radio and I walked out of the dentist and maybe it was the gas maybe it was whatever they injected into me but I thought that's what I want to do and, and that's wow. when I went my cricket whites um, which never really were that white but they started becoming an off grey and yeah. uh, I just wanted to uh, wear denim flares and, and play guitar for the rest of my life yeah, I still want to be a bit like Dennis Lilly now though that was, that was a good moustache they don't make moustaches like that anymore um, no I only met Dennis once. It was in a restaurant in St Kilda, nineteen ninety four, and he walked in the room. It was the only time all of us as a band just went. <laughs> yeah, meeting the Stones or the Who, or um, I'm sure Davey is meeting Paul McCartney last year when Dennis walked through the restaurant and, and he got introduced to us. That's we um, finally made it. Finally made it. Uh, I met Brent Croswell, of uh, ex-North player and, and Carlton in Melbourne and in Tassie. Yeah, meeting sporting heroes, meeting Lauren Jackson, Australian basketball captain and, and legend, and um, getting to chat with her. So watching musicians who are into sport meet sports people and they just go a bit... Yeah. Whereas if it was another musician, maybe they wouldn't be so tongue-tied. And hmm. Meeting Malcolm Blight was a big one. But Den- Dennis was the big one, and I'd love to, to be in his company again. Yes. We might get him on All Fun and Games if you're watching, Dennis. I'll, um, I can't grow a moustache, so you know, maybe, that, maybe that's where it's at. Maybe you can make a few calls for me. The kangaroos, <laughs> your, your beloved kangaroos. I mean, it was, not, what was it, 96, um, 99, mm-hmm. we last had the biscuits. Where's footy at now, do you reckon, as a footy fan? What do, you, do you love it in the same way? As with most, most things, I like doing it. Um, it's my attitude towards pornography. I'd, I'd rather do it than than watch it. But I, as far as AFL goes, I actually like where AFL is at the moment. <laughs> Not at the moment, but <laughs> just a little. There used to be a lot of lip service to enjoyment of the game uh, over bloodthirstiness, and um, I know with the North team at the moment. I used to spend quite a bit of time at, at North and with the AFL when I was working with them and in advertising. Uh, and it was very um, much about braggadocio and um, I didn't enjoy it then. I'm funny when I go to the club now and, and meeting a bunch of the players, Benny Brown and, and um, oh, Ed Vickers-Willis and, and a couple, Tom Campbell, a couple of these players, and they're, these, they're the loveliest young fellas you've ever met in your life and I guess now because I'm 50 I've met young fellas there you know six foot six brimming with health yes I had um, I was in Perth doing a show and uh, with P.P. Arnold and and then happened to see a North game versus Fremantle that day before the gig and then North got up the next morning I was at the airport lounge just throbbing and so I was making myself a screwdriver with some 
um, ill-begotten vodka. And um, Benny Brown comes up. And it's I met a him breakfast a bunch of times. screwdriver. Well, yeah. Tim Rogers. Yeah. Breakfast, <laughs> breakfast screwdriver. <laughs> and uh, Ben comes up and goes, oh, g'day, Tim. I'm, I'm Ben. And I, yeah, I, I, I know. And he sat down with his fruit salad and we're having this chat. And it's not about nightly. We were just talking about all sorts of other stuff. And he just had his daughter by that stage, I think. And... And on the plane, I'm watching the, the players, and they're just a lovely group of thugs, you know. Yes. And I love the way they're playing at the moment. You know, the real, just the physicality of the team. But they've got just a, an intelligence about them. I'm really enjoying it. Well, I like watching the game last night, you know, a yeah. draw with five goals apiece. Mm. Um, still enjoyed the hell of it. I like going seeing, um, I love watching AFLW games because it shows how tough the game actually is that that I felt the moment seems uh, as if players can do the most miraculous feats but not break into a sweat They're, that's just been at it for that long AFLW for some reason reminds me of actually how tough it is because it hasn't been decades and decades and decades of these elite sports women uh, playing the game that's televised and all this attention on or just even been allowed on the ground you know and playing in these teams and um, the evolution of um, AFLW. I go and watch the St Kilda Sharks up the road, the kids' teams. And so you're still as much a footy fan as you always have been then? Yeah, I lost it there yeah. for a while. Um, but then I think it was that on tour I started seeking out going, seeking out local games. And hmm. seeing, I remember seeing a game in Margaret River. It was Margaret River WA. It was Margaret River versus Donnybrook. Uh, about five years ago I had the day off before the show that night and went and saw Donnybrook as Margaret River and it was r- really exciting and then mm. went out to Kalgoorlie a couple of years ago with my dad to watch the grand final out there and people if they're right into the upper levels of AFL and that's what they enjoy you know, go, and, go and watch a local game and get involved yeah. in a local footy club see a lot of good footy we also hear a lot of good stories and yes a lot of good people a few dickheads, people. but a lot of good people. A few dickheads. They do still exist. Yes. Yeah, and they exist in footy clubs, but by and large. This is the Dad Bod Project. I um, was playing uh, for um, Gumbau Cricket Club uh, a few years ago, maybe three years ago. Um, uh, my friend Gideon Haig, uh, the writer and cricket writer and, and um, excellent journalist, uh, invited me to play down to play for South Yarra. She said, oh, oh Tim, if you don't get in, he's got a wonderful sonorous speaking voice. Tim, why don't you come down and throw an arm over? And I got a game with South Yarra and we were playing this team, Gumbauer. A great name. Gumbauer up, up north in Victoria. And the game was washed out. But Gumbauer um, said to South Yarra guys, I'll come to our club rooms. And so I went there and they had a full stereo set up, all these great records and pulling beers and got to talking and Gideon Haig was telling his story about Viv Richards and Clive Lloyd. So, you know, he gets the attention because he's been there and uh, knows all the stories. But after that, Gideon said, oh, Tim, I'll drive you home. And as he jumped in the car, he said, um, we've lost you, haven't we? Manny, he said, they're your mob, you know. Their, their club rooms have got a full stereo set up and a full bar fridge, and, and we play pretty straight down the line. So I played a season with Gumbauer. And How did you go? Uh, I personally didn't play well. I had one good uh, good innings out of five, and um, bowled okay. I've lost a few yards. <laughs> 
Jeez, I enjoyed the camaraderie of it. And yeah. A Saturday out, eight hours out on the field and, and uh, beers afterwards. Enjoyed it more than I ever had. Yeah. A lot of giggles. A lot of giggles. And the nerves as well. You know, when the game's tight, there are a couple of times it was tight and I'd go and uh, be parked at um, uh, mid-wicket or long long on and um, I think, well, hang on, what if... What if the ball comes what to you? What if the ball comes to you? Yeah. And talking yourself into, I want it to come to me. Yes. I want this. To, I want to be the guy who who get who gets this catch. Uh, pressure situation when batting. There was there was one. It was a. We lost a, a bunch of wickets early, and I had that dread because I, I just do. I'm a nervous person. And then I talked myself into thinking, I want this. And that was um, my one good innings. I mean, I made shallow 20s, but I was out there for enough time to steady the ship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I, oh. played, I played a charity footy game in... Um, oh, God, here he is. He's off. I haven't spoken <laughs> to anyone in three months. <laughs> um, played a charity footy game in WA last year. We had a gig that night. Played in Margaret River the, the night before. I tried to take it easy on smoking and drinking and then made it back to Perth. Fremantle and uh, played the game they put me at uh, full forward snagged one and didn't do a hell of a lot great for the rest of the game apart from give my lungs a complete beating but twice a full back tried to play on from from a kick out and they just looked at me and thought Tim Rogers slow as a wet sack come on old man and they did, and went to run twice. I ran them down, got holding the ball. Now, these are young guys, yeah. really fit guys, I remember. And um, tackling and bringing them down at the age of 50, it was the best footy experience I've felt. Yeah. Proved how it didn't break my collarbone, made the show that night, got free, you know, got the free kick and um, kicked in board, top of the square, did the team thing. Couldn't kick long enough. Uh, just gorgeous and as a, yeah. as a 10 year old it was all about just taking big marks and kicking goals and it was the one percenters I think there's a lot of stuff when you hit a certain age to know that you still can do it you know you get a lot of years of just little <laughs> joy when you get out of bed each morning out of those little things you know yeah yeah it's uh, I want to play baseball a couple of years ago and um, was ready for a couple of years of training before having a stab at a couple of um, local sides and uh, and then I didn't bust but had a few problems with my shoulders through years of that and that and that and um, so didn't end up playing that was a, and I thought well okay this is a sign now I my my sporting aspirations are over mm. but then um, no they're never going to be over no I play footy with a bunch of guys just training and I'm a bit about the median age. The oldest there's 63 and still is, um, is great on the park. Right. Good runner. Uh, and uh, I doubt there's one of us that doesn't have these daydreams about playing in a super rules club and, mm. and getting some posies up and having a good game. You know. Yes. And hitting the club room through the stereo and beers afterwards. It's, uh, it's my daughter not living with me is uh, 
stolen that little dream away about being a, a coach of a your kids yes. team. Yeah. Uh, it, oh well, it's not going to happen. But the um, I'd still love to give it a stab, you know, being a coach and just creating an environment where it's fun and but you learn stuff and. Um, Anyway, maybe I'll just volunteer for a local side, being the, the water boy or something. Yes. Yeah. The Saturday morning sport thing is a whole new, you know, particularly with little kids, it's a whole new world. It comes with its uh, own pros and cons, I reckon. It sure <laughs> go, by okay. the way. It comes with its perks. Yeah, yeah its perks and its, and its early alarms in winter. Yes. Uh, oh, 75 tour. I've dreamt there about that tour for... I think that's, that's peak. That's peak. It's a live one. There you go. When we go around once, I think you can purchase it on the next one. I want to ask you, you've been pretty, um, I guess, forthright about your, um, in, in terms of mental health, the, the afflictions with which you've had to confront and mm-hmm. um, maybe been cursed with, for want of a better term. Is there, and not asking for advice, but, you know, this is really part of the conversation that we have a lot now. Is there anything that you have done for you, that worked for you to keep a lid on some of those things? Uh, well, it's it's a good question. It's it's a daily thing, really. Um, initially, I was eighteen, twenty-one. I was in law school, trying to do things musically, and and was just really fragile. It was an anxiety disorder, and which I may have for the rest of my life. But it's uh, I didn't. I wasn't looking after myself, and. Um, wasn't healthy at all and so that's of course that's not going to help at all and so it reached a point I had a complete breakdown and you know I had to leave and move back home at, at 21 which was difficult to, to take and heavily medicated for a bunch of years then the band took off and I weaned myself off medication slowly never do it quickly and was fine for a while a bunch of years and then um I don't think cocaine and anxiety disorders are ever a good combination. Right, so they, they don't go together, they, just to... They, that's right, they don't. Okay. Math, speed... Um, again, not good. N- not just, good. Just again, want to yeah, confirm. Yeah. Yeah. And 24-hour um, boozing, and so it, that, it all came back and really kicked me in the bum. And So when I realised that was going on... Uh, just thought well what, what's not working for you and so I guess these days you know I'm, I'm a drinker and I probably always will be until I get told medically I can't but uh, I don't I don't hang I don't go out to and hang out with lots of people and um, I'm not high energy I'm very very low energy I live alone um, my partner just lives 282 steps up the road I just need to be alone and that really works okay if uh, if I was out all last night um, I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to meet up today because I'd either still be going yes uh, or it would just be a mess. And, you know, it's not hangovers. I mean, you can I can handle a flipping hangover, but uh, if you know you're going to prod the bear by doing that, right? Uh, so that's one thing. And also um, trying to be a little bit healthier, and just knowing that I can't be social for regularly. Wow. So it wears you out, does it? You just uh, I I just I just lose. 
a core, uh, some sort of um, emotional core where I can deal with any situation. Mm. Uh, it, it, this today will be the, mo- the my social, the most social I'll be for um, a week. Wow. Uh, and being by myself and just working on projects, writing projects, musical or, or otherwise, I now know that's where I've got to, what I've got to do. Even working bar at the end of last year and this year which is heavily social mm. and I love bartending absolutely love it I love having a regular wage and I like making people happy but it was all starting to happen again and I turn mm. up to work and start oh I think oh, maybe I should take something to take the edge off and I thought we can't do that I'm, mm. uh, I'm gainfully employed and um, so I think I've nailed it now you know just that uh, just need to conserve um, emotional energy and, and um, emotional energy, I guess, so I can deal with whatever comes. Yeah. Because I can't be any good to my daughter if she needs my help, even if it's by the phone. Yeah. Um, if I'm like that, I can't be any good to my friends. And my acquaintances and friends get a little pissed off, so I don't go and hang out. I, mean, I just mm. would rather drink at home and, and read books and, and write. And, uh, but if they need me, I'm ready for them. Yeah, yeah. So being vigilant, being present to it. And that's a common, I think, a common theme for people who feel like they know enough about themselves or know enough about their condition is just is just checking with yourself and say, right, is this? Should I be doing this? Is this where I'm at? You know? Rosemary, my partner, who's a waitress and uh, manages a restaurant. Uh, but she's an incredible waiter. It's, it's quite a thing of beauty. I, I go to the restaurant to watch her do it. Uh, and when not working, because that's heavily social as well, because she invests a lot of her time mm. into that and, and her energy, she'll go home and close the door and won't see another human until her next shift. Yeah. Um, maybe a couple of drinks after work. Because I, I, can't, I think I learned a lot of that from her, that... Um, yeah, you just can't do it. I can't, after a show or whatever. It's unreal hanging out, particularly after a great show. But yeah. even with the UMI guys, uh, I'll keep it to five hours after a show. Smoking, drinking, as I probably won't follow the next party after that. Mm. Um, because the next time um, I won't be available for, for people. Mm. Being vigilant, so my idea of vigilance is pretty loose, but yeah, it's 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 you know it's breakfast daiquiris every second day or something. Yeah, it's sort of it's just more about knowing that you need to be alone. And yeah, Davy, Davy Lane, who I, I room with on to he he knows that about me, and and yeah. often if we cut out of somewhere. He knows it. My daughter really picks up on it as well. She was on tour with me. She came over from America to tour with a bunch of bands. I was touring with the Draft Dodgers and with UMI in Europe, and she'd recognise when I'd be motioning to go back to a hotel and just to be quiet, and she'd recognise it. So we'd just you know, grab a bottle of wine and head back and go to the room and mm. talk all night. Yeah. Mm. I've got to get our jail free card here, by the way. I'll hold on to that. I think that's your game. Yeah. There you are, Ace. Five for you. Do you want me to move you? Yeah, thank you. One, two, three, four, five. Two are 76 now. 
we're, we're moving up in life. Can I, I just ask, the reason I ask you this one, one, two, three, destroyer. There we oh, go. We're now, we're now getting a bit... The, the reason I bring this up, we've had this conversation before, and <laughs> just the way... I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the, the way the... Um, the reverence with which the musician is held in Australia now, is that something that's altered or diminished, do you think? Is that... Musicians in general? Yeah, musicians in general. I think, it, you know, is it, is it the way we're viewed? Is it, um, is it something that's changed, and if so, how so? Gee, that's a good question. Mm. I think it's less. Um, why? I didn't grow up learning that, that artists needed to be revered. It was, oh, right, that's, that's what you do. Uh, but because love making music um, I did revere musicians finding is that um, noticing shows other people's shows particularly when working bar down at the basement and a show would be on a perform be on people's attention were there for right there right with the artist for one song or two songs mm. and then no matter who it was it just the spell was dropped it seems like this attention span thing and I Shut the hell! Listen to this. Yeah. I don't mind people talking when I'm playing these days at all because I just want to be inside my own head and experiencing that. And you can't with you with your voice. You can control that, but me with my little, I, I sort of can't. And so I don't even try. Uh, attention spans, and it seems just. I don't know whether why people don't want to just go, go into that musical world and not. I need to, to shout above it or talk talk above it. Yeah, is this just in Australia? In your experience? Well, is it rather? And maybe I told you this story that uh, when I go over to Europe or to the States and play with by myself, uh, that even in Italy, uh, people listen and then, yeah. and spots around. Now, maybe that's just because I'm a bit of an oddity, you know, and my accent's cute, but Australia's... <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, Australian yeah. crowds, um, and I can't pinpoint what it is. People mm. go on and see, they can do whatever they want, but yeah. when I go and see a show, I don't want to fucking talk to anybody. It's good. Even if it's bad, I just won't be there. People shouting at you when when something's on. I just don't get it. Yeah, you know. And in Australia, I think that's changed. And obviously, look, you know the. Um, you do. Oh my God, yeah, my God, yeah. And what do you think? Look, the level of distraction has gone up, but I think the level of just whether it's a lot of venues will still have footy on in a corner. If, with a major artist there there's things, things like that so I think that whole attitude has changed a little bit and I'd probably forgotten what it was like I remember what it was like in the early 2000s gigging a lot and whatever where crowds were there to see you and then you know three or four years ago when we did I played in Italy and played in London and mm. played in even Las Vegas and you know those party towns when you're there the musicians on so you listen to the musician you don't even go and get a drink, right? The singer singing, so you're singing. I'm like, yeah. fuck, right. I better. I've got to concentrate on what I'm doing. People yeah. are actually watching. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. A, it's quite something, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Can't make it all up. And yeah, I can't just think about 
what I'm what I need for groceries. Yeah. Got to, yeah. Boy, mm. uh, battle with the bit. No, really, was battling with it being behind the jump and watching it and me wanting to listen and people were going to come up and talk to me behind the bar like what, yeah. are, you, what are you doing yeah yeah go just let this happen i want to be taken away with by yeah. this uh, um, i think the once there's a, a once a video game comes out called rockstar you know that that's Remember when starting out in the early 90s, if uh, late 80s, being called a rock star was the worst thing you could be called. That sure. denoted that you were, uh, d- had no um, integrity at all. Mm, and prima then, donna, demonstrative, uh, yeah, all those sort of connotations. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then for a while there, being called a rock star was the greatest thing. Mm. Oh, let's look at the ARIA Awards and who's turning up in high stacked heels and you see footage of... How do you sit with that now? People still call you a rock star? You're a rock star? How, how does that... Well, how do you, how's the term sit with you now? Well, I'm rather good at it. Because I thought... <laughs> I thought Breakfast what it, daiquiris. Well, My I thought God, being yeah. what, what a rock star was, was to be idiosyncratic and iconoclastic and, and not just... And having a freedom of spirit whereby you didn't have to... Um, go into the familiar tropes so that kind of behavior of looking a certain way and or you know being out of it all the time trashing hotel rooms is that that's a trope and it's a it's a cliche and therefore that's not being a rock star to me I mean um, that's being a, a douchebag mm. Particularly if you trash hotel rooms, and I used to clean hotel rooms. So, yeah, particularly if you don't have the money to pay for it. <laughs> well, I, you know, th- there will there's a hotel chain in Sydney for which I've said this for a long while about you know, trashing hotel rooms that were just because it seems to me as performers, um, hospitality workers, and um, uh, cleaners, um, you know, people come to they we're part of a group, we're part of a service industry, you know, and. If you make a day harder for a cleaning woman, a cleaning man, uh, you're betraying your people. Um, even though, you know, we're, we're the ones with the silk scarves and like, you know, Madam, Sir, I, I leave my room spotless before leaving anywhere, no matter what happened there the night before. It is scrubbed, it is disinfected, and it is removed. Um, I was, I was going somewhere with it. But there is a hotel in chain in Sydney that I believe I'm still banned from. Um, myself and an old acquaintance had an argument that went very bad. And so. Wow. But I paid up the next day. They, well, it was the next week, they said. And it was a couple of thousand dollars. And it was. Um, hmm. That was. That was difficult. It wasn't the TV in a swimming pool, though, wasn't it? It wasn't quite that, was it? Or, no. Or was it? No, it, it wasn't a celebratory. It was a. An argument that was so frustrating that that, that furniture ended up in the wall. Mm. Mm, fair enough. Very ashamed. I think that that was financially it was awful, but also I was I was making someone's day harder. Sure. And that's um, that's not being good to your brethren. Yes. Well, it doesn't exist in here. You're going. You you say you're making another record. Yeah. And. Uh, um, I just wonder whether, you know, the old, the art of the, well, the Star Child. Star Child, Paul. Beautiful. I love Paul Stanley. He really, I've got a friend, Andrew, who's a mate of Paul's, and, and uh, they, they know each other through wine. 
and just Stanley Eisen. He's a beautiful cat. And he's a star child. He's, he is the star child. This is the Dad Bod Project. The making of a record, there was an art unto itself in that the consistency and the flow and the order of songs and what was going to be track one and two and all that stuff, that was very, very important. When you're making a record now where that stuff doesn't matter nearly as much or, you know, we've got a, a completely different medium, is that something you still think about? If you're making another record now, you're like, well, this is going to be a good, you know, a good first song side too. Well, I, I <laughs> do still think that. Yeah, because, do you? Well, yeah. yeah, and why I do is because what at home uh, I listen to records I, I use streaming services as well um, if I want to research something and then if I love it I'll buy the record right um, the record being the compact disc oh, the, what it, whatever the iTunes the vinyl what are you all, all three whatever right. I can find something on I mean, it's still good to hold it isn't it well if I love something I'll buy the record and yeah. I've got friends who run record stores in Melbourne where I can find records and it's a thing it's, it's a beautiful experience if it's not and it's on CD, then I'll get it great. I can use it for yeah. driving. And if I don't have it on CD and it's on a streaming service or on, um, you can buy it from Bandcamp. I've actually really, really enjoyed buying um, uh, records on Bandcamp recently because I think it's a better profit share for the, for the artist. And uh, often you can't get the physical product and, and yeah, whatever it comes on. But buying a record or something is a, a um, hideously beautiful and hideously expensive way of in, enjoying. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, mm. boy. Uh, but, yeah, I, we still think that way. Davey and I were tracking yesterday at his stu- home studio, and we would talk about that. We'd say, oh, this is, this is track three, sure. Yeah. Because that's just the way we think, and that's how yeah. we listen to music. And um, if it's not part of the zeitgeist it doesn't matter I mean we're not we're, yeah. we're in um, we're at um, some other geist yes Ed geist well, maybe enough of you, you, you know the UMI demographic still is so therefore they will you know they'll enjoy <laughs> the sequential nature of, of what you're trying to do and the, I think that if you, you know, because we enjoy that sequential um, getting that together and, and putting a record together because we enjoy it then I, I just hope that radiates a bit Mm. If, um, to other people and uh, it, it won't be a, a lot of people's bag but um, I think if you go into something not selfishly but making things the way you want to and in formats that you want to I just think that's the way you've got to go mm. if, there have been times every three years we're asked by people putting out our records or who we're working with to say you've got to rethink this model this isn't the way that things are done mm. and it's just never brought happiness yeah. in 1994 or 5 we got signed to Warner Brothers in the States and, and spent a lot of time in um, Los Angeles in particular and every day there'd be meetings with people about how our little band can be can change to to fit what's going on with American radio, and it, it just brought no happiness. It was just mm. years of of boredom. Because we really sure it'd be great to be able to tour in a bit bigger van, but um, it was really a waste of time and, and money. And thankfully, we had some great experiences in there where um, that we took away with. You know, for example, reading. Mark Lanigan's book last week um, and I love Lanigan he's, he's one of my favourite people in the world but a couple of the tours that he was doing with Screaming Trees then uh, that he mentions in his book we were on those tours and he, 
apart from his own personal life being really difficult, talking about touring with the band at that time, and we looked at them like older brothers and we thought, man, they've got, they're so funny and so garrulous. And Lanigan was always kind of very quiet and obviously in his own thing, but reading how miserable those two was with, I thought, far out, at least we kind of enjoyed touring. Mm. And it wasn't any level of success that determined we'd enjoy it more. I mean, when we did those tours with Soundgarden, um, th- they they weren't any happier than us. Sure. They um, they were a thousand times better. And were they? Oh, they were amazing. They were, yeah. Every single night, we'd just sit side of stage, whether it was what Cornell was doing, Kim was doing, what Ben was doing, what Matt was doing. But individually, and Matt and Ben often, and then Kim, Blue Moores, and Chris pretty much to himself but I'd spend this night in the back of their bus with Chris and it was something I'll never forget we just sat there drinking and just talking very quietly looking out the window and then I woke up in the morning in the Arizona sunshine and, and Chris was just on the other bunk just looking at me and I said everything alright Chris and he went yeah I'm just looking at you <laughs> want a beer went, okay but they'd want to come and hang out with us because um, it wasn't a particularly fun tour for them and we were like the idiot little convict band that they could be silly with yeah and so uh, being asked to to shape yourself differently and do things differently and become more professional I'm kind of glad that I I sort of regret that we spent that much that we didn't just say nah Mm. because um, it no, I don't think anyone particularly got hurt. Uh, we ran pretty close, but but we just it, it could have been a little more fun. But su- mm. you know, further success wouldn't have meant any more fun. One of us would have bought a house, and then think about real estate too often. Mm. Or geez, I don't know. Just it's you make a great point, I reckon, for young acts listening because. And UMI is probably one of the best examples of that because what often some of the reasons that you don't fit in and the reasons that you're not fitting into American radio or whatever, that's, they're also the same reasons that make you great. And, you know, it's probably good advice for young artists. Just do what you fucking do. And if people like it, great. And if they don't, well, they don't. Just the, do what you do. The, uh, the, the thing that, yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'll just reiterate what you said. Uh, looking... Particularly for younger artists or someone who's older and just staying, and if they want that success, you've got to think: Do you want this? Is this going to make you happy? I can tell you, it won't. Mm. Um, I've got friends who are enormously successful. They're, I've grown up with these people um, since about eighteen and touring with them, and they're enormously successful. And what makes them happy has nothing to do with the pool in their backyard. It would make your enjoyment a little more day-to-day, though. But <laughs> they've, the, the ones that are happy, they've worked it out, and they've worked out that it's about who you've got around you and who you're close and what you need during the day. Similar to the way I figured my stuff out. And I can go and hang out with my friends who are very successful and have made a lot of money, and cheese and toast before cocktail hour at three, and what we enjoy is going and playing bit of backyard cricket and having a yarn I'd love to have a house and I'd love to not be paying rent and I would love this and this and this but I've got a roof over my head and I'm making a record at the moment 
and um, you know, daughter's okay, and the band is still friends. I think if we, if anything more had happened, we wouldn't definitely not be together. That's a really really interesting without idea, isn't it? Flipping doubt. Yeah. Ninety-nine, we were in living in Los Angeles, and I was getting taken out a lot, and offers to go and write with this person and this person. Uh, and Russ and Andy were back in the hotel going, oh, that was the year we were supposed to do big, bigger things in, in, um, in the States and Europe. No, we wouldn't be together at all. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Are you, my go, I think, are you a fan of the band? I mean, if you're, if you're my fan, you know, and, and if so, what's, your, what's, your, what's the best UMI record? What's your favourite? Uh, well, I, I think that's my T-shirt actually. Two seventy-six. So good. I, I didn't love the band. I was embarrassed about the band. I thought we had an incredible drummer and an incredible bass player. Love Gun, love it. That's my next tattoo. <laughs> but I, I didn't like listening back to the records at all. So is that right? No. And, no, and no. now? Well, I've started. I mean, to. have you put on Ellie Daly? Just while um, you vacuum or something? <laughs> not that anyone can hear. <laughs> uh, n- yeah, I can listen to songs. And and um, what got me into it was that my daughter started playing them. And I didn't, because she's a New York kid, right? And really musically savvy. And she started playing some songs from Hi-Fi Away. And she said, oh, hey, Dad, how do you play Jules and Bullets? And I'd show her. And I'd, what the... Look, this New York kid is it's so, so on top of what's yeah. contemporary and forward um, and she started playing you and my songs and that's maybe liked them a little more and also I like our, uh, that we were earnest we we're kind of dorky um, but we were we meant it and whatever it was we meant and Rusty looked great and he was really stoic and cool and Davey joined as a kid and now he's just the busiest man in rock and roll and, and still the sweetest so a bit more of a fan it's sort of with my daughter um Advance to the nearest expense. If unowned, you may buy it from the bank. If owner throws... Do- Can you read that? Well, I, think I think, yeah. So the nearest expense, I think it's going to be uh, road crew, I think. Aye, road crew. Yeah, shout out. Stick with the road crew. They, they're the first ones, they're the last ones to leave. And they still smell better than yeah. musicians. <laughs> um, my daughter, Ruby... Um, loves the Strokes, absolutely loves them and they were playing at a Bernie Sanders rally in New Haven last year Um, and Ruby said, yeah, me and my friends are looking to try and get to see them Um, and I said, well let me call their manager Ryan because I'm still a friend of his and I'll get you some tickets anyway, got Ruby uh, and her stepdad and a couple of mates. So the cool dad thing just went up a couple of notches. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. cool dads suck. Dependable dads rule. But um, her mum is so very, knows what's going on. Um, rock and roll in particular, but also classical music. And uh, But yeah, got all these tickets. And then Ruby said to me, Dad, uh, you toured with the Strokes, right? And said, yeah, yeah, a bunch of times. We brought them out for the first time and then they gave us a tour back in America. And um, she said, Dad, did I ever meet, you know, Julian, Nick and Albert and Nicholas and Fab? And I said, well, 
Julian actually cradled you one night, Ruby, and I saw her kind of go, wow. you were, I think she, Ruby was maybe four or five months old, and she came on most of the tour with her mum and myself, and she was in the cradle, and uh, so Jules came back to the hotel one night, and he said, hey, Ruby, all right, that's your daughter, that's cool. And I said, oh, would you like to hold her? And he goes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I really lost her mind thinking that one of her little, you know, doting, handsome, floppy uncles was, um, yeah, Casablancas. He's a good <laughs> fella. They're all sweethearts. Bloody hell. Actually, if you want to see what success does, that tour they did with us in Australia, the first one, that, it was so, so fun. And I was, uh, Ruby was so young that I, I kept the lid on it because I wanted to be uh, there for her and, and her mum when I could. But they were just like puppets and, and cartoon versions themselves. And they went at it 24-7. And so many relationships broke up in Australia on that tour because girls and guys loved them. But then the next year we went back and toured with them in the States and big venues, big, big venues and all the fun had just been taken out of it and again they'd come and hang out with us not because they particularly thought we were great company but they just wanted to not be in a room together and wow. it was they were great mm. every night they were great Jules lost his voice a couple of times poor sweetheart but all the fun had just been taken out of it and I'm glad now each of those guys personally is in a good spot and they're making great music and when they see each other it's fun to play together but bloody hell which comes back to your, I guess, the concept that success doesn't necessarily equal happiness in rock and roll. It doesn't necessarily. I've never seen someone that success has brought them happiness. If you're I'm, an un- I'm glad I never made it then. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm right with you. It's, you know, I, was, I was unhappy as, uh, as a kid, but with brief flashes of extraordinary happiness. And um, I'm, I'm there now. I'm not, definitely not an unhappy person, but I'm a happy person. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tim, it's uh, whether it's in a dressing room or over <laughs> over a game of Kiss Monopoly, it is always a Kiss privilege. Ma- Kiss Monopoly, or like. Kissopoly, I'm not sure, but it is always a privilege to be in your company. Oh, Thank man. you for hanging out with us. It's so much fun hanging out.